Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. The HBO original documentary series Mind Over Murder chronicles the bizarre and psychologically complex story of six individuals who were convicted for the 1985 murder of a beloved 68-year-old grandmother, Helen Wilson, in Beatrice, Nebraska. Despite five of the individuals originally confessing to the crime, the Beatrice Six, as they became known, were exonerated by DNA evidence in 2009, a turn of events which divided the rural town and incensed the family of Helen Wilson. It is an immersive, beautifully produced, no-holds-barred, seek-out-the-truth-wherever-it-may-lie documentary series by our guest today, who's been on the program before for such wonderful documentary work as Hooligan Sparrow, One Child Nation, and I Am Another You. And that would be Nanfu Wang. Nanfu Wang, welcome back to Film School Radio. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Where did you come in to the story? What in what part of this process? Because it feels like this was a a long time. Obviously, I said 2009, uh, going back that far. But what's what? First of all, how did you hear about it? And then at what point did you jump into this part of the story? Sure. Um, I still vividly remember how I encountered the story. I remember when and where I was. It was um, June 17th, 2017, and I was on the plane to Michigan um, for my mother-in-law's birthday where I read an article on the, uh, the article titled, Remember a Murder You Didn't Commit. Um, and I was immediately intrigued because I had been fascinated about memory and how our memory is malleable and fallible and unreliable. So reading the story about the Beatrice Six, which um, three out of the six at the time of their exoneration still had a memory of being at the crime scene, committing the murder, uh, which they had nothing to do with, was just fascinating to me. And I wanted to understand why somebody would remember, quote unquote, things that they that that weren't true, that they didn't experience um, and how memory works and what does it mean to us, all of us, um, if we can trust our memory. And so that's how I encountered the story in 2017. And I didn't begin to actually work on the story until 2019. And the story stayed on my mind for in a long time until during a conversation that I had told a friend that I wanted to make a film of this. And the friend said, oh, I know like somebody, um, the person is Max Heckman, uh, development executive at Vox Media Studios, who was also interested in this story and you you two should meet. So we got connected um, through the mutual friend and it was very clear at the first meeting, Max and I shared the same vision and um, passion for the story. So we decided to work together and the series is produced by Vox Media Studios. And I traveled to Beatrice, Nebraska 
for the first time in May 2019. And of course, during 2020, the project was on hiatus. And um, we started the first, we, we spent, you know, the 2020 as pre-production, trying to uh, do all, as much research as we can and uh, to prepare. And the actual filming um, started in November, 2020. And um, the last shoot finished in November, 2021. Wow. So we filmed for about, you know, over the course of a year. And uh, I had, um, you know, traveled to Beatrice, Nebraska for over 100 days during that year. And um, during one time, I had actually moved my family, uh, my entire family, my husband and my son to Beatrice, Nebraska, and my son attended a daycare there. And we lived there for six weeks. The community, as I described in the introduction, is divided. Certainly this, this murder caused a lot of concerns and a lot of um, heartache for the family, for the Wilson family. But as the investigation, the arrest, and then the trial move forward, it also became a very contentious subject within the community. And I'm curious, as you approach them as an outsider coming into this after, and with all of the uh, drama and emotional kind of baggage that has come along with this this murder. Um, how did you find your way in to gain their trust? Because throughout this six-part series, there's a tremendous amount of very personal situations in it. How did you gain their trust? How did you find your way into this very personal level to tell this story? Oh, I think um, the simple answer is time and authenticity with many of the people, they already have, uh, you know, before I met them, they had a distrust in the media. So it took time to build the trust. And oftentimes I had to communicate with them before I met them via email, phone calls, and then several in-person meetings before we even brought a camera. And that gave them a chance to, to ask me questions, to get to know who I am, my motivations and my intentions. So that was the first step. And I think being an outsider, and especially, you know, a person not from the community, not from the country, it sort of like presented myself as a like a neutral person. Mm -hmm. And um, they tend to, I think, be more open. Some of them later had told me that they researched me, they watched uh, film or films of mine, and they recognized a consistent, um, I think, empathy in my films towards the subjects and also the genuine, I think, interest in searching for truth. So that helped them open up. And then being immersed in the community, spending time there, and that helped. Sometimes I would gain the trust from one person and be in a small community, that person would introduce me to their friends and family. And usually that helped uh, me to gain access quicker because of that personal connection. But that also means, you know, because of the town is so divided, such a close-knit community, oftentimes if I met with one person, spend time with one person, the people on the other sides would immediately find out too. So it makes it more important to be very transparent, very honest with all the people that I hung out with 
to like let them know what I'm doing and what my intention is. So they don't feel like, why are you spending time with the other side as well? So I think all of that, I would say enough time to be with them and then also to be extremely honest and transparent, authentic with them. That helped. Well, you can see that in the way that you at times challenge people on their answers. I'm speaking specifically of Bert Serzi. Yes. Yeah. And uh, and so they, who's a very important character, which we're not going to get into in too much depth, but nonetheless, very important. Uh, let's get to the more of the, the actual story itself. This murder occurred. This grandmother, 68-year-old grandmother, uh, Helen Wilson, was brutally murdered and raped. There's sexual assault and there are all kinds of heinous things that happened to this poor woman. And over the course of the investigation into it, uh, six people were arrested. And as you mentioned, as you mentioned, <laughs> we know from wh- what you said, they believed in some degree, varying degrees, that they were actually a, a part of, a, of this murder. And it, you couldn't make this up. I mean, the things that we see in this in this documentary series, you really couldn't make it up. And I, it's just fantastic, fantastical, if that's the right word for, for what we see. And I know you knew of the, the story, but when, once you got there, what were the things that surprised you? Or if you want to go into more detail about the actual case, but what surprised you the most once you were there on the ground and going over it with these different people? So when I read the story, the initial fascination was how people would have false memory that involved murder. When I was actually there and started meeting with people, some of the biggest surprises was one, you know, the entire Wilson family, the victim's family, they believed that the six were involved, even though that they were exonerated. The belief was so strong that there was just no, there is not even a little doubt that the six weren't involved. And not only the Wilson family, the, you know, the investigator, of course, and the law enforcement people who were directly involved in the investigation, and probably more than half of the population in Beatrice would believe that way. And this is extremely interesting to me because I felt it reflected the larger society yes. that we looked in. It's like there is something that has been proven to be one way, and yet the majority of people would still believe the other way. And despite all the evidence or the facts that have been presented to them, their beliefs are so strong that they developed false memory, you know, or all sorts of like personal anecdotes that could support their belief. So I, one thing then came to me was to, one of the goals is to try to see what it would take to change people's minds? What would it take to challenge people's preconceptions? Would it be possible to, you know, make people who have believed some things for 35 years to reconsider their opinions, um, to be able to engage with a narrative that they resisted? So that was, um, I think, what surprised me and what became one of the very important goals of the the making of the series. And one of the things about this documentary series that I've never seen before, which is the la- the final 
episode and a half or so of the film, even though you sprinkle out what is going to be happening in that last episode throughout the series. Um, never quite sure until we get to that last episode as to how that's going to play out. And I've, I'm of the theory that people love a good story. I mean, you go back to our, our connection to religion is we love a good story. We love something that's convincing. And I think the the real the, the genius of what happens in this documentary series is that the town is is willing, at least willing to go and see something and be and give it a chance to to turn their minds around about what happened. Am I am I overstating that or is that? That's right. That's right. With that mission, like in my mind, to see what would it take to change people's minds or challenge people to rethink, I started thinking, you know, in in addition to telling the story of the Beatrice Six and Helen Wilson's murder, which has all the people involved that we interviewed, um, mm-hmm. how could we represent the voices of the community? How could we represent the opinions of the community and see those people, what they believe and whether they can transform? So that was the idea of um, doing a documentary play, sort of like the Laramie project that came to me. Yeah. And um, I have a friend, her name, she's a great, great um, play director, theater director. Her name is Cecilia Rubino. So I asked her like if she would be willing to be part of it and work on this. And she was very generous to, to join this project. And together with our team and producers and Cecilia, we reviewed thousands of pages of court documents, you know, spanning from 1985 to 2019, um, police investigation testimonies and transcripts. And basically what we, took all of those documents and used the real words spoken by the people, the real people, constructed a play, a documentary play um, that's about 90 minutes. And then we went to Beatrice and reached out to the community theater, uh, which is amazing that such a small town has a fabulous community theater. And we uh, held auditions for local residents to come and play the roles of investigators, Helen Wilson's families, the Beatrice Six, attorneys, um, all sorts of like different people who we have interviewed. And the process was long and was very unpredictable, you know, to convince people to be part of it, which, which means a waiter in a restaurant would play an investigator who they knew each other, and, uh, you know, a health alone stylist would play somebody that also in the same community. So yeah. they would, their lives, um, you know, cross paths. And that yeah. means there could be serious consequences and repercussion for them. So a lot of them were very brave. Um, it, took, it took months and months of, you know, the farm audition to rehearsals to finally we performed in front of the entire community. And we invited everyone who was directly involved in the story, the investigators, the attorneys, you know, the prosecutor, the Beatrice Six, to come and see the play and see themselves 
being represented and portrayed by their fellow, you know, community uh, people, and to have enough distance to evaluate what the truth in the story is, and how much is their strong emotions, and how much is the facts. Um, so that was a very transformative experience, I think, to everyone involved, and to myself as well. Well, I think it's a lesson for us as a society moving forward that there are opportunities of done the right way for people to come to the truth, no matter how difficult it might be. And we see that in in this uh, documentary series, Mind Over Murder. And my congratulations to you for the, your work, your, the body of your work. And as I mentioned to you before we got started, you know, going back to Hooligan Sparrow and up to to the to this film, um, your work has always been about empathy, human rights, power dynamics, freedom. These are all issues that are in play in your work, and they're certainly here in Mind Over Murder. And my congratulations to you, truly, and Fu Wang, for your work here. Uh, wonderfully done. It's on HBO beginning, well, it began this Monday, June 20th. We'll be running all the way through, I think, July 25th. So be looking for this um, HBO on Monday nights. And um, my, to truly, thank you so much for coming back and joining us on Film School Radio. Thank you. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. Film School Radio.